0: everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Style Guides podcast, which is a podcast all about style guides, pattern libraries, brand identity, guidelines, and all sorts of things around sort of standardizing our design workflow. Uh, my name is Brad Frost.
1: I'm Anna Deblom.
0: And today we are ultra excited to have developer extraordinaire Dave Olson with us. Dave, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So uh, before we dive into everything uh, and un- un- unveil your-, your true identity, <laughs> what do- why don't you tell us about like, sort of your-, your day job, You know, where do you work, what are you doing at work, and just sort of give everybody uh, an idea of where you're coming from.
2: Uh, so I'm a developer at West Virginia University. And I guess my role is to help kind of push technology and push processes for our central web unit. And so I try to take things from industry and make our jobs, jobs better and lives better here at the university.
0: That's awesome. So you're sort of working sort of above, like not on sort of specific things, but sort of more overall sort of strategy initiatives and technology.
2: Well, you know, as the case in higher education, um, we have to wear many hats, but I think the thing I most love is doing that kind of strategy and, and figuring out what where things are going. Um, I do have to do every every now and then drop in and do
0: real code, but um, yeah, doing the strat- thinking about the strategy is the best part It's always good to keep the knife sharp that's for sure um, so in addition to um you know your job at West Virginia University, you also Develop this tool that I've heard of called called Pattern Lab.
2: Yeah, I, I help contribute to uh, Pattern Lab. I follow the <laughs> guidance of uh, a wonderful person named Brad Frost, who gives me some great direction on what to do and uh, make dreams happen. I think that's my <laughs> that's job. <story>. Aww,
1: <laughs> that's <nice. laughs>
0: Wear wings, take dream. <laughs> um, that's, that actually is, is a very accurate depiction of, of sort of our relationship. I would bas- I, uh, Our workflow goes as follows. Dave, it would be really cool if Pattern Lab could do this. And then an hour later, you're like, it's in dev. <laughs> it's amazing. <Wait. laughs> well,
2: it used to be like that. Now it's like... Four months later, yeah, I'll get back to it. Yeah, um, hey.
0: <laughs> hey, man, life life gets in the way. Um, I mean, it's it's actually really staggering to see, you know, all the the effort you put forth with with turning Pattern Lab into to a really great and and really well polished tool, like all in free time, right? This is all an open source project. This is you know out of the goodness of your heart, uh, and I think that it's just. Absolutely amazing to sort of see uh, a lot of people really latch onto it and and, and use it successfully to to create their own pattern libraries and and style guides. So actually, yeah, like let's take a back, as sort of take a step back and, and actually introduce. Like, what would you? How would you define what Pattern Lab is? For me, at its core, actually,
2: Pattern Lab is a tool for designers and developers to communicate with their clients about what they're trying to do with the web and how the web and content is actually going to respond for real. So rather than doing like a static comp and just kind of crossing our fingers that that's all going to work out, we kind of give a true representation to clients um, about how everything's going to work together. And so that's kind of my 30,000-foot look at what Pattern Lab is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that definitely I, I would say that in in my own work, sort of, you know, as a as a pattern lab user, that's very much been the case is sort of helping people understand that, yeah, of course we're making you a new website, of course we're, you know, sort of building building a final product, but there's actually a lot of thinking and sort of, you know, this underlying system that sort of goes into uh you know, arriving at that final product. And the idea is that we're 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 trying to build things and construct things in a, and design things in a really deliberate way that's built for consistency, reuse, and, and extensibility into the future. Yes.
1: Dave, do you get a chance to use Pattern Lab in your own work or in personal projects?
2: Uh, I am not really able to use Pattern Lab in personal work, and I think that's one of the things I've sort of learned about style guides and style guide tools is that... Um, they really have to be amazingly tailored to your own environment and your own stack. Mm, So Pattern Lab is PHP, and it's going to play really nicely with PHP-based templating engines and that kind of stuff, so make a a workflow go from Pattern Lab to a production system. Mm. At West Virginia University, we we use Ruby on Rails, Mm. Um, and so it's like Radius is our template. So we have a whole nother setup to actually do patterns um and that work though it, the really nice thing about that is that work is now influencing
0: pattern lab too
1: mm.
0: yeah yeah so so let's talk about that cuz cuz pattern lab is essentially you know, it's a PHP sort of static site generator at its, at its sort of core, and PHP is sort of the engine. But it, really, it's, that's neither here nor there, really. Uh, you know, th- that's sort of how I discuss it. It's a, you know, you sort of have a templating engine sort of lo- sitting on top of that, that core engine, and, and really PHP or the node port or the .NET port is really just sort of how that engine is, is constructed and sort of stitching things together. Um, but with the new version of Pattern Lab, you're you're sort of you sort of blew everything apart and made it really modular, so that people working in Node or people working in PHP or people working in really whatever can all sort of leverage the same tools. So you're sort of do you want to talk about sort of that strategy of like how you're trying to make Pattern Lab accessible to to people, no matter really what their environment is.
2: So pattern lab currently is this big monolithic thing that you download and and you use so this you have the starter patterns which you know we don't really want people to use but they're there uh-huh. um, and you know a very single engine in terms of mustache and it's just this big one zip and what the next version of pattern lab does is it really starts breaking things apart. So we have a separate viewer, which is that front end that anybody can use. and um, can actually start swapping out front end. So if you don't like our style of front end, so you don't like the top nav, you can swap that out. Um, start being able to swap out, again, um, rendering engines. Right now we're stuck with Mustache, but if you want to use Twig because you like Drupal, you can do that. You can use Blades uh, if you're on Symfony. That's still PHP specific, but again, it's this idea of making things, a little more plug and play for someone's environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're getting to the point where you can actually install individual patterns. So you can create HTML, CSS, and use whatever you want, SAS, whatever it is, and have things kind of magically installed from one version to the next. It's going to work with Node, it's going to work with .NET, it's going to work with the PHP version. So yes, the engine renders it, and that's PHP for you know for my edition. But the rest of the bits can actually be done and be used with whomever's implementation.
1: How how easy is it to kind of separate the style guide itself, so the styles for the style guide, from the ones for the actual site you're building?
2: Um, It's actually really easy because what we've done for for the primary for the style guide is just namespaced all the CSS classes, so all the things that have that view of a, style guide Mm. that's all just namespace for our own thing and that's there and then everything else that you (laughs) want to do that you want to do is just what you did so yeah it's just namespace classes
1: Mm. i had um two x's before all the classes i'm using in the style guide itself um so that all of the styles are very separate for that yeah
2: we have some strange convention as well (laughs) to
0: make it work I think it. I, yeah, I think it's like SG dash. So it's yeah. SG for style guide. Because so you want like it to be SG something that's not going to be used. SG nav. SG footer. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm. So that you don't run into conflicts. But that's that's sort of the cool thing with with Pattern Lab uh, a little bit. And part of this was was sort of due to the the fact that we wanted to show, uh, you know, have uh, it was a tool I made called Ish, sort of that allows people to sort of stretch and preview their, their sort of responsive things without sort of necessarily uh, resizing the entire browser window. So we sort of have this sort of a, there's a layer outside of, of Pattern Lab, outside of the style guide. And, and what this does is it's sort of you know, your code, the code that the user, you know, that, that you know, designers and developers are actually going to, to launch uh, is on this sort of separate layer mm-hmm. inside an iframe, and then all of sort of Pattern Lab exists sort of on this on this other layer. Um, and what that does is that sort of prevents you from having these sort of you know sort of mixing things together. And it's like, oh, in order for Pattern Lab to run, you need this version of jQuery and stuff like that. It's like what we what we really set out right out of the out of the gate, right, Dave, is to like allow people to Write markup, write CSS, write JavaScript. Really, however, yeah, so, however they want. I mean,
2: there's a there's a little overlap uh, just because we have to deal with the iframe and kind of getting some navigation stuff to work. Um, but for the most part, you know, we stuck to vanilla CSS, we stuck to vanilla JavaScript, um, so we don't have to worry about really clashing dependencies with what, it, what with whatever somebody's trying to actually put into their patterns, mm. um, which makes things a little easier. It's not always perfect, but it's pretty close to perfect.
1: Is ish the thing where you can get the sort of the site to change size? And there's one that's one option that's something like disco, and it just goes crazy and it starts like shrinking and getting bigger. And
0: <laughs> yes, who, who did that? <laughs> yep, <laughs> that that was me. That was me. So disco mode, and, and and so this this is actually really important though. Like on the topic of of style guides and pattern libraries. Like one of the absolute biggest benefits I, I found is is to be able to sort of demonstrate and the responsiveness of the component, right? To be able to sort of, yeah, yeah. And so so it sort of does become this, this nice design development tool, this ability to sort of, you know, resize the viewport. But it's really more, Dave, back to what you were saying about sort of educating people on like, this is this is what we're doing, and this is how this is going to react. Yeah, and that's one of the nice things we have
2: annotations as well to in Pattern Lab to help again communicate to somebody. This is why the header is going to do this, um, and we go even so far as to say like um, this annotation is hidden at this uh, breakpoint, that kind of thing. Uh, again, just to to communicate. That's ultimately the goal. Do
1: you mean annotations like mm-hmm. annotationing? Annotations for the code or for the pattern itself?
2: Uh, For, it's like more granular. They're actually associated kind of like with CSS selectors. So you can say uh, class masthead gets an annotation that explains why we would have a masthead in the website Uh. and at what point it changes, that kind of thing. And is that more more describing elements of a page or elements that are within a pattern as
0: opposed to anything specific to that? As opposed to the pattern itself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So what it what it does is it tries to get, and part of the the rationale for that was was really trying to get to make that deliverable. You know, for for me, whenever Dave and I started working together on 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 Pattern Lab, it was you know we were essentially responsible for delivering front-end code, production-ready front-end code to the client, and then they would sort of integrate that into into a back-end system. And so as part of that sort of delivery, we wanted to make sure that all that really good design thinking that's historically happened in, you know, some 200-page PDF, right, actually sort of made it into the final Mm -hmm. living, breathing style guide so that, you know, we could talk about things like, oh, for this Image gallery. You know, if you're on a touch-enabled uh, device, you know you'll be able to swipe through. And here's how that's sort of accomplished. And sort of those the annotations in Pattern Lab actually give you a place to do it. And Dave, Dave did such. I mean, how how did you actually make that happen? Because it's something like it's just like a little bit of JSON or something where you basically just describe what the element is and then give the annotation a title. Yeah, and, and, and a description, it just
2: right essentially uses the. Again, the class or uh, like a quasi-CSS selector, and attaches a a number to it. It's really not amazingly difficult. It's also a little quirky, um, because it wants to like insert divs and stuff that in some tags that don't support it. but uh, yeah, so it's amazingly simple in that way, but yeah, it's a it's a really straightforward selector, title description, and you're
0: done. Yeah, that's hot. So, so for WVU's sort of uh, Rails version of your of your pattern library, how are you sort of handling sort of annotation and that sort of same communication that you're talking about?
2: So for our patterns, I think we have a slightly different audience than we do with Pattern Lab. Pattern Lab is is born out of that communication with um, TechCrunch and Entertainment Weekly, and so that talking to a client was really specific. Our patterns are more about sharing with our designers across campus. So we have a distributed model of having um, designers who are in individual colleges. And the designers are not necessarily as, some of them are are ahead of us, but uh, some of them are as necessarily up to speed. So what we do with our patterns um, is really just making CSS and markup easily available to them to include in their own designs. And they get to handle how they talk to a client. So that's where our patterns are is take this chunk of markup and styles, incorporate it into a theme, and they go figure it out with their client how they're going to explain things. So it's not a one-to-one, but it is a good way of thinking about how patterns can be reused and how we enforce brand. And that's like kind of a key thing for us as a central department is how do we make sure everyone's on, this on point in terms of brand and fonts and all that kind of good stuff.
0: That's, that's fascinating. So let, let, let's actually talk about that just because, you know, you're at this university, you have, you know, loads of different schools and initiatives and competing priorities and all of this stuff. And whenever you're talking about sort of establishing, you know, brand guidelines and standards and, and pattern libraries, you know, how... How do you sort of simultaneously enforce that brand, enforce that consistency, but still give people the, the wiggle room they need, right, for, for, you know, specific goals or specific initiatives? Uh, I
2: think people are, don't need terribly much wiggle room as long as you give them the tools to do it the right way. Um, I think that's what we found over the last you know, four or five years. The more tools we give, the more people are likely to kind of go in and, and as long as you know they can fit their title in, they're actually pretty happy. Um, variation has seemed to have has lessened, I guess, over the last few years. Um, importantly though, we're gonna be doing a brand new brand rollout. And so that's where patterns and again this enforced uh, new typography and being able to version patterns um, comes in amazingly handy. Uh, so now we can basically say, you know, update the version 1.2 and now you have the whole new brand and everyone's happy and they just keep moving on, keep chugging along, doing their own projects. So that's, I guess, how we're doing stuff.
1: Does, um, does the web design at all influence, say, print design? Cause if the universities in America or anything like the universities here, you know, um, a lot of money is spent on things like prospectuses and just print material and Um, you either get a situation where it's the kind of print design that leads all the branding and the the website kind of has to fit towards that, but more and more I'm seeing it the opposite?
2: Um, I would say we're probably still prints to a degree leading the design for the most part. Mm. Um, The brand design. The the brand design and the brand elements and the discussion regarding brand. Um mm. it's it's pretty fascinating being quite in the middle of it now. Um <laughs> it's it's not that bad it's just kind of making both a a partner and doing the you know the our external partner and the brand kind of aware of various issues and various quite frankly opportunities, right? Mm. Um with web fonts. Hey, you know, you guys chose font A for um the print materials, you know, for this kind of heading. We can actually do that online. Do you want us to do that online?
0: Ah, yeah, that's awesome.
2: That kind of thing. Um, not that web fonts are, are perfect, but it is a way of, again, us sort of standardizing to a degree. Um, in sure, in, and in,
0: in helping in helping educate those other people to sort of consider how that stuff is going to affect the web. Yeah. So
1: do they, do they have a separate print style guide?
2: Yeah, so we have a, a print style guide, and we're not currently working on the, the web version of that. And yeah. for me, the most important thing is not just, hey, here's this this kind of dead tree document that you can go look at and hopefully figure it out. But with patterns, we can kind of finally say, not only can you go refer to something, you can actually use this. And you just mm. turn it on and you have everything you need. And so we're happy, they're happy. Um, it, namespacing makes everything amazingly simple. <laughs> That's it, awesome. it really, yeah, patterns have have really opened quite a door here at the university for, especially for branding purposes.
1: So do you get quite a few of the different schools kind of having their own websites, like microsites, and wanting to use some, like say they want to grab the logo or something, and rather than then Googling it, they've actually got it there that they can use?
2: Exactly, yeah. So, like the
1: right version.
2: <laughs> the right version and the right links, right? So let's mm. say... Um, I think our, our big concerns currently tend to be a header and a footer. It's pretty simple. Um, we want to move into the the realm of offering you know much more dynamic things like slideshows to make their lives easier, uh, or the, like the because everything's political here, so we're going to have a slideshow. Yeah, um, like
1: any university.
2: <laughs> but you know we want people to do that kind of well and in an accessible format that kind of thing. Yeah. But just in terms of headers and footers, uh, at the university, let's say we decide to. Um, there's some new social media outlet that we have to put on every web page now because that's you know the hot new thing. <laughs> with a pattern, you can just be like, okay, we added it centrally, and everybody yeah. just goes ahead with Bauer updates their own themes, and everybody's good to go. And it's yeah, it's pretty sexy actually.
1: Yeah, how do, how do you keep that kind of in sync? Because say you change the footer. In the Star Guide, do you have to kind of contact everyone and say you need to update your footer? Or is there something kind of more dynamic?
2: There's nothing more dynamic. We just we don't want to uh, accidentally. If somebody did something weird, we don't want to break. You don't a whole want bunch to
1: surprise t- them. Don't yeah. want to
2: surprise them. Um, luckily, we already have a really good set of communication with the developers who would actually be doing it. So,
1: yeah.
2: um, And they they're very
0: responsible people, so they take care of it. So, so you don't have it. So it, it's auto, automatically updated. There's sort of like a communication layer that happens in order to sort of deploy an update to a pattern.
2: Yeah. So we'll make a change to the pattern, and then they would have to go out and actually update. You know, you know, in the sim sense, yeah. sense since you have a, a dependency update. You know, for npm mm-hmm. and, and power, you would update. It. That's so, awesome. so that makes life easier. Um, And that's the other thing is we don't have like this monolithic CMS and we don't have one monolithic set of templates. So we've given a lot of people freedom that way. Um, That's where, again, patterns come in really handy.
1: We don't have to enforce one look. Go ahead. What is the CMS?
2: The CMS is a homegrown CMS called, uh, we have two, we have Slate and we have Clean Slate. So Clean Slate's the the next version, I guess. It's Rails 3 and going to be on Rails 4 soon. So it's all in-house. We have it completely set up to, we have a workflow really set up for desires and for theming. Mm.
1: And is that an in-house CMS? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So, so, th- so there's no Rails version of Pattern Lab <laughs> coming soon? <laughs> no,
2: no Rails version of Pattern Lab coming soon. Sorry. Uh, that's that, okay. But that goes down to dependencies,
0: right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. But again, like it, it, from the sounds of it, the way that you're sort of decoupling like the sort of front end, like if you wanted to use, if you wanted to sort of make that Ruby version of, of, of Pattern Lab or use that, the front end that we've sort of developed for it, you'd be able to just sort of rip that in there because that's all pretty static. Yep, exactly. And then, yeah. and then sort of, and then just plug in whatever engine you wanted to use.
2: Yeah, if you wanted to use, uh, you know, what we call starter kits, which is all the the base patterns, you can do that or develop your own. That anybody could use on any language. Yeah, it's kind of neat. I mean, that was an idea out of uh, out of Sparkbox. They kind of told us to separate the two. It was a really good point yeah. that we did that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we went over to the the people at Sparkbox over in in Dayton, Ohio, who you know do some really great responsive work and. Uh, they were sort of showing how they were using sort of a pattern-based workflow, and we're really interested in the whole, you know, a lot of it uh, is this conversation that just keeps cropping up, you know, across the board is, like, how do we, you know, integrate this stuff with with all of our different clients' environments, right? Because, you know, there's just so many different back-end technologies and dependencies and versions and all of that, and it's, like, how how can, you know, sort of Dave architect this, this pattern library tool to sort of be malleable enough to just sort of be able to, to easily be ported into whatever back-end environment people happen to be using. And that was like, that was a pretty big challenge. <laughs> it, was, it was like a, it was a, they just put the challenge on the table, and I think that you've been doing a great job at, at getting the next version of Pattern, pattern Lab uh, sort of ready for that.
2: Well, I think the other thing is sort of learning to accept the fact that if you want something that's going to be like the end product is a Rails environment, you're pretty much going to have to write your core pattern lab for Rails (laughs) because you have to Mm -hmm. get that final rendering engine. But we can make the bits interchangeable enough that we as a community can at least share um, bits to make lives
0: easier. Right and so well th- this is even sort of a conversation though it's like you, you really just need like a bridge like in order to sort of create and maintain your style guide you need some form of, of bridge and whether that's the, the actual backend technology but it's really about like the sort of templating language right like because for example like if I have my Jekyll site and that's sort of using mustache type conventions and I could sort of you know name my variables certain names and sort of you know, sw- swap in dynamic data uh, and pattern labs also using mustache like that, that, that creates that bridge, right? Mustache becomes the bridge and I can sort of hypothetically like export patterns from my style guide to my production environment.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That The, the template is the, the key
0: to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so what do you as far at at WVU and stuff so you you have these patterns and you have these sort of like little what well it sounds like these little micro bundles of of sort of you know dependencies all sort of managed through Bower and stuff like how do you do you sort of um in addition to the actual sort of interface patterns do you have like code standards and and sort of other things like that, and and where do those live, and how do people know to sort of follow certain conventions?
2: Um, So we do have loosely a brand center right now, which offers, I think, kind of tone and voice and and a certain set of guidelines. But I don't think we've gotten to the point where, well, I guess we're sort of starting to get to the point where we're saying, um, here's kind of naming conventions for SaaS and, you know, we're all going to try to standardize on Gulp. Um, I can't say that we've really wrapped our arms around that problem quite
0: yet. Mm. So it's like sort of something where you sort of have some some biases, I guess, or and you try to sort of encourage that, but it, there's no sort of central place to manage that stuff yet?
2: No. Uh, and a so very much, it just becomes politics. I mean, this is... Uh, How much do you think you can enforce and not get complaints up the food chain that then come down my side of the food chain? (laughs)
0: Right, right. Um, Fair enough. (laughs) So,
2: you know, we've definitely, we definitely encourage things. And I think there are people who who do do it well. um, But we haven't got to the point where it's like, this is the way to do it. And a lot of that comes down to, I think, to the word just, which you hate. (laughs)
1: Right.
2: Um, and, and we have the same thing here, right we don't want to really just we don't really want to just say just we don't want to tell people like well, you can just go use git and you can just go everybody's at a different point in their what they can do and what their jobs really allow them to learn so sure. you try to let them be at least a little bit comfortable um, and if they want to move up and progress, we standardize things a little bit more for SAS
0: um, but you know. Mm.
2: If you're just going to play in vanilla CSS, you can pretty much do what you want.
0: Right, right. So, so it sounds like your sort of brand standards, your coding standards, and even sort of your, your, your pattern library to a degree are sort of like a little more suggestive or, or sort of like, hey, here's, here's like sort of a smart default you can use. We're not going to sort of rule with an iron fist and make sure that, you know, like if you're not following the standards exactly how we wrote them, you're going to be you know, drag through the quad. <laughs> right.
2: And the flip side of that is, you know, if we did do like, oh, you know, coding standards, oh, we can lint to a degree, right, but um, mm. continuous integration. But, you know, I also don't want to be in a position to review you and tell you like, oh, you did you did deviate yeah. from our standards, so now you know, <laughs> I have to pay attention to that. So it's more work for me <laughs> to a degree too. That's right, kind of the reality. Right. Um, so yeah, we're, we're not going to rule with the iron fist. And again, the more tools you give somebody, the more likely they're just going to use those tools and kind of default and just kind of go with the flow. So we'd rather not be like so prescriptive as much as like, here's an actual thing to go use and do. And then they're, they're going.
1: What's the uh, workflow like? Um, so when, when you get a new design for something, do you work straight into into the style guide or do you kind of set up your own production environment? Uh,
2: we all have, uh, we all do local development. We have a tool called Hammer, which sort of...
1: Oh, yeah, I love Hammer. <laughs>
2: different, <laughs> different Hammer, actually. Um, oh. It's kind of a common name. <laughs> I, it might do a very similar thing. Um, so we use a tool in-house Hammer, which is based on our CMS. So it has all the same kind of tags that you could use in the CMS in it. And it does something very similar to Pattern Lab where it has like that JSON or the external. So you don't have a whole database, but you have this ability to set up mock data. Mm. And so you can start designing in the browser. Um, again, it uses all the, you can start importing all the patterns. Um, and that's a way for people to develop locally, have something they know is going to work in the final CMS, but be able to preview it to whoever they need to preview it to. Yeah. And so... Um, Again, the more tools we can give to people, the more they seem to kind of flow and and use what we want them to use.
0: And it's very excellent. much,
2: yeah, a process whereby it's in the browser, and we're trying to to think of all the best practices that we can.
0: So, so you guys are are really sort of pushing. It sounds like, you know like even like at that sort of design level, you guys are sort of trying to work in the browser more and more just to sort of paint a more realistic picture of how the CMS is structured, how data is structured, and, and sort of obviously show things in sort of a responsive way.
2: Yeah, it, it just speeds everything up. Um, mm. amazing. There's not that extra step of getting approvals for a design comp and then having to come back and go, yeah, so I know we showed X in the design comp, but it really came out kind of Y. Um, people, <laughs> people get amazingly hung up like on colors, right? Like, yeah, or spacing. Like that wasn't the exact spacing in the comp. Like, there's more important things to worry about here, people. Um, <laughs> so, so the more we can get that, the reality in front of the client. Yeah, at the beginning, the the better. It just reduces complaints later on.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, so it speeds things up and, and sort of helps set people's expectations a little better, it sounds.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, and here's, but here's the other beauty, I think, of doing stuff in the browser, especially when you start thinking about what patterns let you do. I, I guess you could sort of maybe do it with Photoshop where you could have comp layers or a, or a, or a base set that you started from. Um but having markup and CSS that you can kind of really easily fiddle with and add to your project in and out um, again makes things really fast and really easy, as opposed to trying to do it all in Photoshop. Right. If that made any sense, it's just
0: yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so okay, so I think we we have to wrap up here. So the last question is a doozy of one, uh, especially as somebody who's who's running a very uh, you know, increasingly popular sort of tool that, that does exactly this. Like, what what is your perfect, like, how would you define sort of, like, that perfect end goal, Pattern Lab is done, uh, <laughs> or what? what is, like, the perfect style guide? Like, what's, like, that perfect setup, that perfect environment, and, and how would you like to sort of, you know, you know, realize that? Uh,
2: I think the... Perfect setup is one in which um, I think it's parallel too. Honestly, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's basically can we have a modular system so anybody can kind of go in and create a module and, and plug it in, and so we don't have to edit core all the time. And I feel like that's what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I don't want to touch editing core, so anybody can do what they want. And to make a system that has kind of a dependency manager, so people can easily version and swap bits and pieces out. Like I'm going to add this pattern, and I'm going to update this pattern, and I'm going to swap in this uh, pattern engine. I'm just something that's just amazingly modular, and that is almost automagical. Um, mm. Is what I'm sort of looking
0: for. That would right. be the perfect thing. Yeah. Uh, I think, and I I do, just sort of, you know, I haven't really, I, I'm excited to to start uh, taking a, more of a closer look in, into Pattern Lab, too. Um, but the, the concept of sort of just, yeah, breaking everything apart so that people can drop in the, the tools they feel comfortable with seems like absolutely, I think, a, a really good idea. And I'm sure that, I mean, you're, more considerate than I ever would be doing the same thing. So, um, I'm really excited to sort of see that you seem, you seem to sort of steer away from some from like rabbit holes that might be dangerous and, and work in a way that that sort of allows people to, to use the tool and, and build the tool however they see fit. And, um, just given that the sort of first generation of, of pattern labs we've sort of seen out in the wild, and what people have shown me, and I'm, I'm really excited to sort of that you're taking it to a new level, and that allows people to sort of yeah, again, just sort of drop in the tools they're they're already comfortable with to to create a system. Yeah, that's the whole idea. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, not just being on the show, but seriously, thank you from the bottom of my heart <laughs> for, for, I mean, you, you really have, you've, you've just sort of taken this. It's, it's all been in your own time. And, and I, I feel so bad whenever I see people go, Hey Dave, when's the next version of Pattern Lab coming out? When is the next version coming out? It's like, it's like, dude, you got a life, you have a family, you have a full-time job. And, and uh, again, I just want to you know say, I, I really appreciate all your efforts and, and all your smarts and, and, and for turning this sort of, goofy idea of of pattern lab into real working software that's that's making a lot of people happy
2: well thank you and i'm hopeful that the next version hopefully gets done soon
0: um (laughs) but that yeah that
2: um it changes even more how people do stuff yeah awesome
0: well cool well thanks very much for your time thanks for being on and, and talking shop and uh Uh, yeah. So I think that that concludes the episode and, uh, thanks everybody for, for tuning in and, uh, we'll have more style guide goodness for you on the next one. So thanks again.